to jump right into scripture. So uh, if you would, we're going to read, we're going to pray, and then we're going we're to jump right into it. So if you would, grab your Bibles or just read along on the screen. Let's kind of tell them the story of what we're about to read and, uh, to the kiddos, and you're going to see just that. So in Acts chapter 5, we're finishing up the fifth chapter of Acts as the church is um, growing and exploding. There is tons of persecution, and we're seeing just that seeing just that. So in Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 33, here's what it says. When they heard this, right, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. He said to them, Men of Israel, be careful about what you're to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. But he was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man... Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. He also perished, and all of his followers were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this work is of human origin, it'll fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be fighting against God. They were persuaded by him, and they called in the apostles and had them flogged. They ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they released him. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. As we've read God's word, let's pray over this word before we dive in. Father, today, as we've come to you in so many ways of offering worship right now, Father, we pray for this word that you've given us. Father, as it is your breath that we read. Father, it is is your voice speaking to our hearts that we find application to our lives individually. Father, that we are not blind to what you would have us see, but instead, God, that you open our eyes in such a way that maybe we haven't seen before. But above all, Father, may you speak to us. Speak to us as a church body, speak to us as Christians, and speak to us individually in our faith, in our relationship with you. And may your word today be revealed for what you would have for us. Father, I pray that you speak through me in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Today we continue in Acts, and we just read this scripture. And uh, if you're visiting with us today or um, missed a few weeks or even missed last week, you may have some question marks that popped up like, what uh, just happened? What are they talking about? The context of the situation is important. So we're going to back up about four verses And we're going to read some of that scripture real quick. 
And today we're going to unpack the Word of God. We're going to unpack. I could be up here and I could share illustrations and stories and examples. But really today I really want us to focus on the teaching of the Word. And to let it speak to us. Because that is the most powerful thing in our lives. Is God's voice to us. So let's back up a few verses. Let's see what this has for us. And today I pray that God's going to move through it. So if you would look at verse 29. In this scene, Peter and the apostles, they, were, they had been arrested. They'd been put in jail, right? And then they'd been set free. By an angel. God sent an angel and set them free. And then that angel, uh, or the, um, the leaders, found out that they had been set free from jail. Peter and the apostles. And they got out and they got away. And as soon as they got out... They went and they continued to preach in the earliest time at the most public of places to preach about Jesus and teach people for the main reason they were arrested anyway. Well, when the leaders and the high priests found out, they were obviously furious, right? And in this scene, they they arrested them again. And here's what they said after they got arrested again. Said this, verse 29, Peter and the apostles, right? Or let's start at 25, I'm sorry. Someone came and reported to them, Look, these men you put in jail, they're now standing at the temple and teaching the people. Then the commander went with the servants and brought them in without force because they were afraid the people might stone them. After they brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin. And the high priest asked, and here's what they asked, Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Notice they didn't even say Jesus. Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Look, now you fill Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Passing all guilt, right? Here's what Peter and the apostles replied. We must obey God rather than people. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So they're arrested, brought back. They were threatened by the high priest in a way that was intimidating, surrounded by the Sanhedrin, the leaders, right? All the highest men of political power were surrounding them and in an effort to intimidate them and get them to stop talking about Jesus, the high priest spoke to these men and said, don't you dare speak of this name. Didn't we tell you not to? How dare you speak of this name? When they responded, when Peter said, this is what we do, we we fear God. We don't fear man. You're not going to intimidate us. This is where we are now. Here's how they respond. When they heard this, verse 33, where we are today, when they, as in the high priests and the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, right? When they heard this, they were infuriated. They were enraged and they wanted to kill them right on the spot. Because here they are offering everything that they've worked their entire lives for. All that they have, and these men are going to threaten it. And call me murderer? How dare you call me murderer? 
And to say that this man is going to, here you are bringing this, uh, this uprising of people, and you are threatening our power. You're getting more attention than we are. And they were disrespected, right? They heard this, they were enraged, they wanted to kill them. But, look what happens. A Pharisee. Now, now realize that in this scene, in the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, in this context, in this time frame, they're more, have a, a bit of more political power. But a, a Pharisee stands up, and his name is Gamaliel. This is important because this guy is like one of the most respected leaders of the time. It's not just some random guy that stands up and starts talking to them. This guy, uh, as um, historical documents prove, he's one that even trained Paul, who became one of the most is one of the most intelligent men. Saul, who would become Paul on the road to Damascus, he would train he would train Paul. He's one that was the most respected of the highest ranking Jewish leaders. When he speaks, you listen, right? It's that type of, of, um, uh, of, of power and respect that people had for him. So he stands up and he, he speaks to these men. And look what Gamaliel says. A teacher who, who is a teacher of law was respected by all the people. He stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. He said to them, men of Israel, be careful about what you're about to do to these men. Be careful about what's about to happen. Because some time ago, Theodos rose up. Now he's comparing this Theodos guy to Jesus. Okay? Here's his, here's his logic behind this. He's like, all right, guys, look, look, let's look at the past. There's this guy, Theodos. And he had like 400 followers, right? And he had this uprising coming. But then he was, he died. And after he died, look what happened to his followers. It, they, they, they scattered. In the same way, Judas, right? This is a, a different Judas than the, from the, uh, the 12, right? He rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. Then he died and his followers were scattered. Jesus is dead. And when now that Jesus is dead, all of his followers are probably going to scatter. Okay? So, relax. My logic is this, right? And that's what he shared with them. He said, this guy's dead, this guy's dead, now Jesus is dead. They're probably all going to scatter and go away. And this is probably something that's going to fade away. Don't kill these men because you're going to have the consequences of all their followers coming up as well. Okay? So he, he says this, so in this present case, I tell you, stay away from these men, leave them alone. And then he puts in some spiritual logic as well. Now, this is not divinely inspired, and it's not anything that we should use in our personal life in this situation, but it's something that he used to make these men uh, think twice about killing Peter and the apostles. He says, for... If this plan, or if this work is of human origin, like Theodos and Judas from the time of the census, if it's from human origin, then all that's going to scatter and it's all going to fade away. But if God is in this, you may not be able to overthrow them. 
If God is in this, you might be found fighting against God. So it's like use time and see what happens over time and don't do anything and just sit back. And that's not justification for us to do that. But in this situation, that's what he uses. And these men are convinced, right? What did Gamaliel do? He said, tell the apostles to leave. He said, tell them to get out of there and let me talk to you. So they, they left the scene and he talks to the leaders. And scholars are thinking, well, how do we even know what he said? Because we had these apostles sharing these stories and telling us what happened. And now the Jewish leaders, they're not going to tell what happened in that scene. They're gone from that scene. How do we know what that discussion was? How do we know what happened in this room where no Jesus believers were? Well, remember from a month or so ago, the Jewish leaders... Uh, some of the highest Jewish leaders, one of the greatest, uh, was Saul. And Saul was in this scene. Saul was listening to Gamaliel. Saul would become Paul, right? Luke would be uh, receiving this information from Paul later on down the road. So imagine this scene where they've been preached to and they've been taught this is powerful because not only is, are Peter and the apostles preaching to all those in, in their homes, not only are they preaching in the church, but when they get arrested, they're preaching to the ones that have arrested them. They're preaching to those that could persecute them most, that wanted to kill them. Peter and the apostles said, I fear God more than I fear man. And they are planting that seed. And ultimately, Saul would become the greatest missionary to walk our earth because of some things that are happening in this scene too. That's pretty powerful stuff, that God is in control of everything and everything works out according to his plan and within his purpose, right? So Peter stands before them and Peter is standing up and denying them, knowing that he's ready, probably gonna be killed. This is a different Peter than we've seen from a few weeks ago in this scene. You remember what happened a few weeks before this? Peter denied Jesus. Peter denied Jesus three times, not because he was afraid he was going to be killed, but because he, just, he didn't want to say he even knew that man because they were all searching for the Jesus followers. They didn't want to be a part of that. So Peter denied Jesus three times, and now in this scene, he is a completely done a 180, and he's standing up in the face of his own death saying, yeah, I don't fear you, for I have a purpose, and Jesus told me to go into the world and share the gospel with everyone, and I'm going to do just that, and I will, not fear man. I will not fear man. I will fear God over man. And these scenes like this should be inspiring to Christians should be inspiring to us because I promise you, if we look in our lives, in our individual lives, how many times we've bitten our tongue for fear of what that other person might think. When we know we should stand up and say something for Jesus on behalf of Jesus, we don't because we're afraid we might hurt their feelings. Could we stand up in a scene like this? That's a question we should all ask ourselves. Remember what Jesus said in, in uh, Matthew chapter 5. 
10 to 12. He said this. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted. Remember, Peter's here listening to this at this time. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you, when they persecute you, and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's hard to take. Rejoice whenever somebody talks bad about you in the name of Jesus. Look at them, they're, talk, they're, they're living that Jesus life. They're a bunch of hypocrites. Here they are acting like they believe in Jesus now, and I know who they were, right? You should rejoice in that because you know God is working in your life, especially when you stand up and you don't get that maybe that promotion in your job you wanted or you lose a relationship that you thought you had to have because of Jesus, because of your relationship with God, because when you put that priority there, things of this world start to fall away, and then they start to work against you when you prioritize God over the world. And Jesus is telling us just that. You are blessed. You are blessed when they insult you, when they persecute you. You are blessed when they falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. It's not, oh, look at them. It's, wow, God is working in their life. To God be the glory and not you alone. This is a follow-through on what Jesus had told Peter. And now look at this. This was the before this scene of what Jesus had directed them. And then later on down the road, Peter, right? In 1 Peter, who would be writing some letters that, that are later in our New Testament that would happen after this scene, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 6, look what Peter writes after this scene. Peter becomes even more uh, impassioned about this. Here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 12 to 16. He says this, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. Instead, be very glad. Christians, listen. Listen to this. Don't be surprised, not at the little trials you're going through, not at the trials that that make you, you know, hesitant a little bit and cause you to lose a few minutes of sleep, but the fiery trials, the life-changing trials, the ones that scare you to death and cause you to to worry about even having a tomorrow and what life is going to be like after this trial I'm going through. If you're living a life right now that you're in the middle of this trial, of a trial of of divorce, of a trial of being without a job and having no idea if you're going to be able to put food on the table in the coming weeks, in those fiery trials that break your heart and have you scared, not just worried, but scared about your days ahead, don't be surprised at the trials that you're going through if it's, it's something that is crazy that is it something that is strange that is odd this does happen this is the result of a christian life instead be very glad and that's hard that's totally against our human instinct but be glad because these trials what you're going through 
will make you partners with Christ in his suffering. They are going to embolden, harden, and strengthen your relationship. When you have no one else to go through, to go to but to Jesus, then that relationship is strengthened. When you trust in Jesus more, when you're facing the fiery trials, you become a stronger, more spiritually mature Christian because of it. And God has a hand in every single bit of that, even though it's awful going through it. When you're at the end of the tunnel and you're looking back and you can say, wow, God, you were in control. And thank you for that. Thank you for that. Look what he says in verse 13. Instead, be very glad because these trials will make you partners with Christ in his suffering. And afterward, you will have the wonderful joy of sharing his glory when it's displayed to all the world. Be happy if you are insulted for being a Christian. This is the the New Living Translation. I love it. Be happy if you are insulted for being a Christian. For then the glorious spirit of God will come upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other, or into other people's affairs, but it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. It is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his wonderful name. In this, if, if, you, if you have an area that you want to circle, highlight in your Bible, 1 Peter 4, 12 to 16, do stars, make little notes, what have you. Because when you face trials, if you turn to that and you remember what Peter had gone through when he faced the Sanhedrin and his life was on the line, that's a trial. When he was a denied Jesus and felt like he was forever separated and had the most... Uh, Powerful depression that I could imagine of disappointing Jesus and denying him, but being loved in such a way of Jesus accepting him and forgiving him. That's the Peter that wrote that. That's the context of that letter to us. And that's how we should see it when we face trials. Is that God's word coming from his people, divinely inspired to a person that suffered just like Peter did. That's what we need to consider and see in our lives. In this context, Peter stands before the Sanhedrin. Every day, look what this says, verse 42 in our, in our Acts chapter 5, in verse 42. Here's what would happen. Then, actually, let's go to the 38. So in this present case, as Gamaliel is saying, I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For this plan of this work of human origin, it'll fail. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. And you may even be found fighting against God. So what happened? They were persuaded. And the scripture tells us they were persuaded by him. In verse 39, verse 40, after they called in the apostles, they called them back in after Gamaliel talked to him, right? They were flogged. Now, it's just not a slap on the wrist or a beating. The flogging can also be translated as skinned. The skin of their back, they were whipped in such a way that the skin, they had no skin left on their back. Nothing but raw flesh. That's the whipping, the flogging that these apostles experienced. Unbelievable pain that we don't experience in our time. These men experienced that. How awful would that be? But look what happens. Look at this. They had them flogged, and they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they released him. 
they would have to be saddened sorrow and such pain that you couldn't imagine. Verse 41, then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name, on behalf of Jesus Christ. They rejoiced that they got to be treated shamefully, that they were flogged, that they, they were beaten to nothing but flesh on their back and threatened to ever do it again, they would be murdered essentially. Don't you dare say another word. They counted it a privilege to suffer for Jesus. They counted it a privilege, as Peter said, as Jesus told us in Matthew 5. As we've studied, look at the privilege it is to suffer for Jesus. What? I thought being a Christian was all, all my sorrows would be gone. What are you talking about? I'm going to have to face these kind of trials. For the pains we face on this earth are temporary. For the, the pain, the sorrow, the depression, the hurt we face on this earth is temporary. For the joy of tomorrow is what we seek. For when we face these pains, though, in these trials, we know we are on the right path. I remember when I first got into ministry, when I first got into ministry, several of the people um, that, I, that I admired the most, the pastors and elders, they told me, I, I want you to know that now that you are telling people about Jesus, you have a target on your back. I'm like, okay. And I didn't understand. So they explained it more. No, it's not just a target on your back from the community and people calling about you and talking about you and all that kind of stuff. You have a target on the back that when you are effective for the Lord, when you are sharing the gospel to people, the devil targets you even harder. That your temptations are going to become tenfold stronger. That the devil is going to point at you because he does not want you doing the work for the Lord. And if you are a Christian in a ministry aspect or not, it doesn't matter. If you are a Christian, you have a target on your back. It's a spiritual target. That kind of life and that kind of expectation is what we should have. But that's what we should rejoice when we face trials of many kinds. We should face, or we should rejoice. Because then we know we are doing work for the Lord. And I tell you this right now, of all the, of this scene that we see is the men have been flogged and they go back and they rejoice for what they faced. I want us to take this now and unpack all of this because it's a lot to take in. And I want us to apply this to our lives. Christians, you are going to face trials. But, re but rejoice in knowing that all that you have on your life, you can lay at the feet of our Savior. Because the sins you've committed, the pain that you feel because of that, it's, the price has been paid on your behalf.